Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your host, of course, Mike Abadir. Today is Thursday, January 11th, 2024. And unfortunately, I don't have my wingman today. Don't have Pop DiBiase today. I have the, the terrible, tragic news that he has passed away. And so this is this is kind of like a show in his honor. This is kind of a strange feeling for me. Kind of an empty feeling. But I know Pop would want the show to go on. There's no doubt about that. You know, he was just that big of a sports fan that he would want the conversation to keep rolling. He knows that the world keeps moving forward. And this is exactly how he'd want it to be. He wouldn't want his loved ones or family members or anybody to at all kind of sulk or anything like that. He would want everybody to hold their head high keep his memory alive and just have happy, positive thoughts. And so I'm going to do that in his honor. Uh, obviously internally, I'm deeply distraught. Uh, I, you know, I have so much love for Pop DiBiase and it comes from such a great family and the energy that he would bring to the show. That was like organic, you know, that was real. That was real. That was who he is. You know, uh, he wasn't like trying, like sometimes for me, I kind of have to get into radio mode for him. It was just kind of natural, you know, he would get on and be himself. And, you know, I was actually on the phone with, with his brother, Justin, good, good people, good people. Um, and you know, we were talking about him and he's got a larger than life personality. You know, that's always been Pop's trademark. And, um, you know, he'll be sorely missed by me and many, many others. But at the same time, he left us with so much um, that it's it's worth spending some time talking about. So, in honor of Pop DiBiase, let's recap some of the things that made him special. First one is his love for sports. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, big horse racing guy, huge boxing guy. He had a presence in the boxing world, more than a presence. You know, if you go look on YouTube, his many shows, many interviews, uh, top fighters in the world. You know, I'm not talking just like local, uh, lo- local scene, local you know, boxing establishment or MMA establishment or something like that. I'm talking like worldwide top contenders, both in the heavyweight and in the the uh, lower divisions all the way through. And um, he actually brought me into that. You know, um, uh, uh, some will say, you know, well, you know, it was cool that you brought him into the NFL world. Well, he brought me into the boxing world. And uh, we we worked together. We put together some cryptocurrency sponsorships uh, with 100x coin and Altbase, and that was a lot of fun. We worked together uh, on a deal with Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, the Manny Pacquiao. That was all through Pop DiBiase and his connections, and him being a deal maker. Uh, you know, and as as recently, you know, as as just the other day, Errol Spence, you know, had given his condolences. You know, um, he did that on his own. You know, uh, nobody necessarily uh, who who knows who even briefed him with with the news, but uh, Errol uh, obviously was was impacted and you know contributed to um, you know the expensive costs associated with you know um, funerals and things like that so 
it's just, that's just to show you kind of the the impact that he's had, um, not just with me and family, but just the sports world in general. You know, and one thing that was really, really like, I guess the word is um, ad- admirable about him is that he would, he would like, he wouldn't shy away from saying, Oh, well, I, I'm not going to approach so-and-so he's a big celebrity. You know, there was like nobody too big for pop to talk to. There was nobody too big for pop to interview, you know? Um, and so he pursued, I mean, it was like, as if he's no different than, Skip Bayless or Colin Cowherd or Chris Berman or uh, Jason Whitlock or any of these name guys. He had a lot of the same zeal and characteristics. Good interviewer. Didn't necessarily follow the traditional journalist script. uh, And that's what made his interviews really, really cool. It was more personable. It was more like a barbershop type talk with his uh, interviews and, and his guests. Got them to feel real comfortable. And that's really, really like a big time attribute when you're talking about interviewing celebs in general, athletes included. You know, you, you, you get that person to feel real comfortable with you. And they open up. And they start talking. And the more they talk, they just continue talking. They give you a lot of information above and beyond what you're necessarily asking for. And it was cool because you got to see some insights, you know, into like, let's just say a boxer that you wouldn't normally hear otherwise. You know, maybe it's a boxer talking about his family life, maybe about some of the uh, pl- uh, plights that he had to deal with in his journey, some of the obstacles. You know, he really got these guys to lay it all out there and uh, you know that that's that's something that's gonna always be impressioned in my mind something that i'm gonna really try to model myself after and emulate is his tenacity his personable approach just very real the realness of pop diabiasi is evident uh the the other thing you know is being a contrarian and what i mean by that is this some people are contrarians because you know they just want to have the shock factor but for but for pop it was more like he's an outside the box thinker he's not looking at something like oh well just because you know society says this that he has to follow it no you know he'll see the bs in what's being put out there and call it out whether it's in the sports world or maybe certain social justice issues or political issues he didn't follow the mainstream you know he would kick that to the curb and do his thing and do what he felt was right and typically speaking what he felt was right aligned with peace you know, he didn't like to have the, you know, America divided, as an example. Uh, he would rather bridge the gap. So rather than focus on the divisions uh, and the wrongdoings of another party, he would kind of focus on the similarities and what makes us more similar. And it's really a refreshing approach. Uh, It's what a good leader would do. And, uh, you know, I don't even know if he considered himself a leader per se, but he had leadership characteristics and he carried himself as such. And so those are some of the things characteristics wise that really stand out when it comes to Pop DiBiase. Now, in terms of handicapping, let's talk about that for a little bit. So he made a pretty big, bold prediction. And I told his brother, Justin, or reminded him of this. 
Actually, he kind of reminded me, which got me to remind him. So their family roots are from Cleveland. So, you know, yeah, he was a big Raider fan, but deep down at, a, at his core, he wanted to see the Indians or Guardians or Browns or Cavs win. You know, it was kind of like to pay homage to his uh, family, to his father and where he's from. God rest his soul as well. And he wanted to make his pop proud, he wanted to make his father proud. And so when he was making predictions each and every year, he never took Cleveland as a, a, a champion, as an example, because he wasn't biased. He was going to be handicapping to try to help make people money. And that was the priority. So come this football season, when we did the NFL preview show back in uh, early September, he made some bold predictions. The first one was, he said that one of the favorites, Cincinnati Bengals, not only were they not going to win the Super Bowl, not only were they not going to make a run in the playoffs, he predicted that they wouldn't even make the playoffs. And to anybody that heard him, that was almost like an outlandish, crazy talk prediction. Like, come on, man. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, a huge, uh, hard-hitting defensive line, uh, Mixon, and their draft pick Brown as ball carriers. You know, T. Higgins on the other side, Tyler Boyd. You know, I could go on and on and on, just throw out the different names that they've got on that ball club. And for him to say they're not going to make the playoffs was just like, oh, come on, man. He did, however, predict Cleveland. Not only to make the playoffs, but to win the division. Now, again, that was even maybe more crazy than predicting that Cincinnati wasn't going to make the playoffs. But he called it. And although the Ravens did end up winning the division, the Browns were right there until the last week of the season. Like they had a legitimate shot to be able to, um, you know, win, win that division as a possibility. You know, they were needing, <clears throat> excuse me, the Dolphins to beat the Ravens or, you know, uh, an upset along the way. Uh, I guess it was maybe they were alive for the division to, to the second to the last game, I should say. But anyways... Pretty bold prediction, and so he had Cleveland making a run in the postseason. I'd have to go back and rewind and listen because I'm a little bit hazy right now. But I believe, I know he had them going into the AFC Championship game, but I, what I need to double-check is whether he had them going to the Super Bowl or not. Um, but either way, I mean, how many of you out there really thought that Cleveland before the season was going to make a run. I mean, I think if you're a hardcore football fan, NFL fan, you probably knew that their defense was pretty good. Um, but that, that their offense was all about Chubb and that Amari Cooper would only succeed if Deshaun Watson got his legs back underneath him. So what makes it even more crazy is that Deshaun didn't play for much of the season. Uh, he, he was not one of the key contributors yet by, you know, week 11, week 12, they became a force offensively as well as defensively. Now, when you say a force offensively, you're talking about Chubb, right? Running back. Chubb carried the ball club. He must've carried the ball club to the end zone twice a game for them to be able to win some ballgames. Nope. Chubb got hurt right away. He was not a contributor this season. So if I had told you without Deshaun Watson and without Nick Chubb that Cleveland would be a playoff team, I would say that's a one and one. That's like a 1,000 to one long shot, maybe even more. You know, it's like, no way. They're not going to be a playoff contender. That's, that's, that's nuts. He called it. He handicapped the situation and he estimated regression by some teams and that 
certain draft picks were going to elevate a team. And he had a very methodological approach to, to his pick of Cleveland. And so uh, now that we're at the eve of the playoffs, it'll be interesting to see how much of a run does Cleveland make. You know, maybe, maybe Pop's, uh, you know, high-energy spirit will guide them all the way to, to the Super Bowl. That would be pretty cool. Uh, you know, now uh, on the other side of the break, you know, we'll, we'll get into some of my predictions and recaps of the season and, and the playoffs. Um, but I wanted to share with you guys, you know, Pop's pick of Cleveland. That was the dark horse pick. Um, he had another one, too, which was the Chargers. But their season kind of went uh, south. Uh, probably by, by mid-year, it looked like their season was over. And then definitely after their quarterback got hurt, it was definitely game over then. And um, But, you know, Cleveland kept pushing forward. Really unbelievable story when you think about it with Joe Flacco and stuff. But um, uh, let's leave it there. Let's take a, a quick commercial timeout. We'll come back. We'll talk more about the NFL playoffs and uh, continue kind of the, the tribute along the way to Pop DiBiase. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be back right after this. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back on the Mike Abadir Show, talking about the legacy of my man, my right-hand man, Pop DiBiase who has gone far too young. He has departed this planet and uh, is in the heavenly realm uh, sooner than anybody would have liked, but he leaves a lifetime of memories and and a legacy that uh, will live on forever. Now, a couple of things that he would have been really interested in talking about today, let's cover them. So, we left off talking about the NFL playoffs, and I'm going to get back to that in a second. But some of the most newsworthy items that came about in the last 24 hours. How about this? The best head coach in 
maybe all of sports, Nick Saban has retired. Let me amend that. Stepping down from Alabama. I don't know if he'll coach again in the future. I would suspect no. He's kind of accomplished anything and everything that you could imagine as a head coach. You know, he's done it all. You know, he's won with LSU and Alabama. He's had a stint in the NFL. He's highly paid. You know, he's won championships. Uh, He's solidified the SEC as the key player in the college playoff, even in quote-unquote down years for Alabama. They were so respected that they would make the playoff over teams that have maybe um, more wins than them. You know, it was a respect factor. I know that Alabama is a big draw, of course. But a lot of that is is the magic of Nick Saban. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on his legacy because you you guys could all get that on ESPN Sports Center, right? That's very mainstream. You could hear about Saban everywhere. But what's really interesting timing-wise is the head coach of the Patriots, who is a good friend of Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, he is no longer coaching the Patriots. Six Super Bowls. I don't think that'll ever be matched for a head coach. He's the second winningest head coach of all time. Winning is defined as number of wins. Um, He's second behind Don Shula. I think he's about 14 or 15 wins from matching or topping Shula, which is pretty remarkable. That seemed like a record that would be really tough to to beat. But kind of like we've talked about before, you know, unlike a player who has kind of like a like a window of opportunity where he can play and perform, you know, a coach can keep going, you know, coaches right now are getting hired in the thirties. They can keep going through their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, and continue on. Now, speaking of other 70 year olds, Pete Carroll is no longer the head coach at Seattle. So here we're talking about three legends and Pete Carroll. Yes, he is a legend. He was a legend just from what he did at USC. Now, maybe one looks at this as USC should have won more titles. And perhaps that's true. But I challenge you to find a team that's more dynamic, more talked about, more exciting, that had more flash and talent and so on and so forth than some of those ball clubs that Pete Carroll coached at USC. You know, there were some seasons where they were producing you know, multiple running backs and Heisman candidates and quarterbacks. And, you know, there was that period of time, Carson Palmer and Matt Liner and Mark Sanchez and, uh, and Booty and it could go on and on, you know, obviously Reggie Bush was, was probably the biggest razzle dazzle guy. Um, you know, but, you could go on and on and on. That was all Pete Carroll. And then he jumped back into the NFL. He had a previous stint in the league. But he came back and he did what had never been done before, which is winning a Super Bowl in the Pacific Northwest with the Seattle Seahawks. Up until Pete Carroll, they really weren't considered you know, kind of like a primetime type team. Even though Holmgren had gotten them to the Super Bowl with Sean Alexander uh, and company, really it wasn't until Pete Carroll put together that crazy good defense with Richard Sherman and company, you know, and the 12th man was really a thing, really helped them win some games. Russell Wilson, obviously. Uh, you know, they were a force for for a while. And so he leaves, he departs the Seattle Seahawks having uh, made the playoffs, I believe, in 10 out of 12 seasons, going to two Super Bowls, winning one, 
probably should have won the other one in in one of the most questioned play calls in NFL history. We're at the goal line instead of giving it to Marshawn, who is the beast, could get into beast mode. High probability of him taking it one yard and winning that game against the Patriots. They decided to throw instead. And that was how the legacy of Butler with the Patriots was established. Uh, and, and they lost that game. So all in all, we're talking about three dynamic head coaches. Coaches that are going to be in the Hall of Fame. Coaches that will be talked about forever. You know, they're in the ranks now with, you know, the Bo Schembechlers and the Don Shulas and Chuck Knowles. When you're talking about legendary coaches, uh, you know, um, college and pros, you know, Bobby Bowden, even from other sports, uh, Krzyzewski and Dean Smith, you know. When you talk about the greatest, these guys are in that conversation. If not at the top, very near the top. You know, uh, and this will be debated forever. Was it more Belichick or more Brady? You know, uh, what what about Saban? Is he a great game day manager? Or is he good at putting together an organization or recruiting? You know, I suspect all of the above. You know, Pete Carroll, defensive-minded guy, but they had a pretty good offense. You know, you can't be any one thing. You can't get lucky to be able to have longevity in any of these leagues, let alone win. And so when people talk about Brady and Belichick, you know, I, I still argue that Belichick made Brady. Let's say Brady was drafted by the Detroit Lions. Do you think he would have gone to seven Super Bowls? Do you think he would have won all those Super Bowls? I don't think so. I think both needed each other. But I think it was Belichick's coaching that really got Brady to keep getting better and better and hungrier and better and better. And then there got to be a point where Brady really took over. But, again, who was it that brought him in? He wasn't like a highly sought-after draft pick. Bill Belichick saw the talent from this skinny kid at Michigan who didn't have traditional NFL measurables by any stretch of the imagination. And he brought him in and made him a Super Bowl champion and later on an MVP. And then I would say he made himself a Hall of Famer. So I think it kind of takes special talents on each side for something as ridiculously successful as what happened to happen. And so, you know, we could do entire shows about Belichick's and Pete Carroll's and uh, Nick Saban. Um, but I'll leave it at, at that because, like I said, there really is no uh, limit on kind of the stats that they were able to put up and the tributes and, you know, kind of the legendary careers, plus the voids that they fill or they, they that need to be filled, excuse me, that their absence is going to create, you know. Um, I'd say probably the biggest one will be at Alabama. Now, I'm going to assume that he's kind of handed off the mantle uh, to whoever their next head coach is going to be internally, would be my guess. But I, I have no idea. I have no insight into what Alabama is going to do. Uh, in the NFL, it's it's definitely much more of a business, you know, because college is so much that goes into it regarding recruiting high schoolers you know it's a different type of talent than being an nfl head coach you know it's very dissimilar in terms of the structure and the setup and how you build teams they're they're really not alike at all in any way shape or form completely different structures and you could say maybe just the game day 
you know, there's some of the similar mechanics going on. But overall, they're they're very different jobs. And that's exactly why college coaches that are great don't always make great NFL head coaches. Right? Because they're very different positions. But he could go into a living room and and promise that he would put a kid in the best situation to win games, to contend for national titles, and to continue playing on Sundays thereafter. And nobody could make that claim better than Nick Saban. Uh, again, like I mentioned with Belichick, you know, his six Super Bowls, I don't think that'll be matched. Uh, Pete Carroll brought success to a region of the country that really hadn't experienced success really in any of the sports, you know, the Mariners or, you know, the former Supersonics who are now the Thunder or the Seahawks, and he made a winner out of the Seahawks and a great defensive tradition, and he elevated that 12th man and, you know, so on and so forth. So all of those things worthy of tributes, worthy of uh, praise. Um, They were easy to respect and even easier to hate if you weren't a fan of those teams. And typically speaking, you only become hated when you are successful. You know, nobody hates the the head coach of Arizona State, right? Nobody hates the head coach of uh, Vanderbilt. You know, it's only when you are beating the crap out of your opponent time and time again <laughs> that people end up hating you. Um, and so that might be the best compliment that one can give these three head coaches. So let's keep the show moving, get back into the NFL playoffs, which will not include the Seattle Seahawks or the New England Patriots. But as a theme of the show today, life goes on. And those fan bases and the two extreme opposite, polar opposite parts of the country, Northeast and Northwest, nobody's going to feel sorry for them, especially the Northeast with the Patriots. I mean, them and the Red Sox and the Celtics, you know, that fan fan base over there is more than spoiled. So they've got plenty. Fan base that hasn't been spoiled, we talked about earlier, Cleveland Browns. They've got a matchup on the road against the Texans. Browns finished the season 11 and 6, pretty remarkable record. They definitely beat expectations. The Texans, talk about a team that beat expectations. You know, they were predicted to be in the cellar. And they were division winners. How about that? I mean, talk about beating expectations. And sure, these are four team divisions. But the AFC South, you know, there was definitely more of a case to be made for Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence and Indianapolis, uh, Tennessee, Derrick Henry, Vrabel, who's also, uh, you know, going to be another vacancy over there. But Houston, you know, they were supposed to be a long ways away, you know, an inexperienced head coach, a quarterback that is a rookie. But when all is said and done, the quarterback that's a rookie played phenomenally well. C.J. Stroud is a stud. I think he's going to be a great quarterback in the league for a long time. And I'm really looking forward to this ball game. I think it's going to be exciting. Uh, it's unpredictable. You know, I, the Browns obviously have the defensive edge. I'm going to give a slight offensive edge to the Texans. And the reason I say that is because they were able to light up the scoreboard on many, many games. Like their offense was no fluke. You know, and if you're a fantasy player, you know, uh, whether it would be Tank Dell, who's not going to be participating in the postseason, or uh, Noah Brown, or uh, Collins, or any of these guys. Um, how about Singletary kind of reviving his career a little bit uh, with with the Texans? You know, they could move the ball and they could score points. 
I think this I think this team is definitely going to be a force in the AFC for for a while if they could keep building on the success that they've had. Uh, so that's what makes this matchup pretty intriguing. And of course, you know, I'm not going to leave you guys hanging uh, without without my my predictions. Um, I think in this one, I think a lot of the money is going to go on to Cleveland. Uh, and I'm not saying that Houston's necessarily going to win the game, but getting two and a half points, I would take the Texans. I would take the Texas. I think that at home, they've beat expectations. I think a lot of people are looking at Cleveland as a force that developed during the season, a force to be reckoned with. And I sometimes like to go the other way. That's the contrarian in me. We we're talking about the contrarian in pop. The contrarian in me says, take the Texans. Uh, what we do need to take is a quick timeout. We'll come back. We'll talk about the rest of the games, and I'll give you my predictions for the NFL playoffs. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be back right after this. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Apologize for the interruption, folks. I'm back with you now. Uh, had an extended break there. But anyways, we're talking NFL playoffs. And my goodness, this is, to me, the most wide open playoffs we've had in a long time. Why do I say that? Well, last year, I felt really good about Philadelphia and Kansas City. And I gave out those picks you know, throughout the year and uh, in before the playoffs. And, you know, if anybody followed me, you probably did well in the playoffs and in your contests and fantasy postseason and all that stuff. I was that sure about Philadelphia and Jalen Hurts and Mahomes and company with the Chiefs. This year, I don't have that same confidence for any team. Now, on paper, of course, it's easy to look at San Francisco and Baltimore and say that those are the two teams. But two things. First one is, does the chalk ever 
match up one seed versus one seed in the Super Bowl? I'd have to go back and look, but I don't think that that happens very often. I really don't think that the ones both get there. You know, we've seen six seeds and five seeds and four seeds. Uh, And I'm going to give you guys like a tidbit that's very unscientific. Okay. Very unscientific, but it's might not even be relevant, but I think there is some relevancy in what I'm going to give out here. So I was a part of five ultra competitive fantasy football leagues. By the way, Pop DiBiase was the champion for one of the leagues that we call league four. He was the champion the year prior. Uh, But this year, in this season, through five leagues, like I said, ultra-competitive, everybody knows their football, everybody knows their players, everybody's a seasoned handicapper and fantasy player, baseball and football, and even some guys play basketball. Not a single number one seed in any of the leagues won the championship. Not just that, not a single number one got to the championship game. Now, what's the relevancy in there? That, Well, the relevancy to me is it just shows the unpredictability of the NFL this year. You know, you had two seeds, three seeds, four seeds, and six seeds winning the championship. And I kind of see that real life will kind of mirror that. So aside from the number one's argument against, the other thing that I'm looking at is that the layoff. Now, these teams extended their own layoff. So the 49ers sat everybody. In the last game, week 18, against the Rams, they sat everyone. So now they get a bye this week. So if you go back to, you know, they didn't play week 18, week 18, like I said. You go back to week 17 for the last game that Purdy and company and McCaffrey and all those guys, you know, Debo and Ayuk and their defense played in. So by the time they play again, by the time they step on the football field, there's going to be three weeks in between. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't baseball where if you go three weeks, you know, your hitting timing is totally off or your pitching flow or, you know, um, you know, your feel for the ball, et cetera, or even basketball. You know, sometimes maybe you have to find your shot again, et cetera. But this is football. Shouldn't matter, right? Well, I think it does. I think if you're a rhythmic offense, I think the style of offense that the 49ers have, I think it can be affected by a layoff. And when I say affected, think of it this way, guys. Let's say I told you that two passes in the game by Brock Purdy were less crisp because of the layoff. Okay, well, that's only two passes. They should live, right? Well, it kind of depends. Well, let's just say it was a very convertible, you know, third and medium or third and long. And instead of an easy completion, there was an overthrow or just a bad throw in general, an errant toss. Let's say the second one ends up getting picked off and results in a pick six. So we're talking if somebody is even off by that little. Just two out of his 35 throws aren't as good because he's had a three-week layoff because their timing is off. Maybe he couldn't find open receivers, so he gets sacked. and They have to punt the ball or give the ball back or help their opponent have a better time of possession. Football's real finicky like that. You know, they say sports are a matter of inches. Absolutely. But because there are individual matchups and team matchups in football, you really have to be in sync. And I say this with respect to the 49ers, 
knowing that the Ravens have an equally long layoff, but I don't think they're as much of a rhythmic offense as the 49ers are. You know, I don't think they rely on kind of that, you know, getting Lamar into a passing rhythm because that's not entirely Lamar's game, right? You know, he's a disruptor. You know, he can run the ball. And because he's so respected in terms of his running game, it makes his running backs achieve success. Even though they don't have necessarily a deep running back team, they have multiple injuries. Even though nobody would say that they necessarily have the best running backs in the league, they're probably the most effective rushing team in the NFL. You know, and and in terms, especially in goal line situations. You know, you get them in a goal line situation, they're going to punch it in. You best believe the Ravens will punch it in if they're in a goal line situation. Now, let's keep it moving uh, so we don't run out of time. Let's talk about the Dolphins and the Chiefs. Now, if you guys listen to the show, you guys will know that I'm a supporter of the Miami Dolphins ever since the days of Dan Marino. He's the one that got me hooked on football, on the NFL. And so I secretly root for the Dolphins. Uh, They blew it. They had a chance to be the number one seed just three weeks ago. But they continued a very bad trend, which is losing two top-tier teams to playoff teams. They were only able to escape with one win during the season, which was against the Dallas Cowboys, whenever they matched up with a playoff-caliber team. They lost all the rest of them. Quite frankly, most of the contests weren't close. And they did face Kansas City head-to-head on a neutral field. And loss. Now, to go to Arrowhead, where it's supposed to be like two degrees, I think it's a very tough task. The point spread here is four and a half, a little bit tricky. But because I think that Kansas City is going to win, as much as I hate to say it, I think if they win, they probably stomp on the Dolphins. You know, if they win, it's because the Dolphins can't get into that offensive rhythm. They can't connect with the Cheetah. They can't get the running game going. And they abort mission on the running game, which McDaniels is kind of known for in a sense. It's a pattern that I've noticed. The running game isn't working. He kind of like moves off of it very quickly, which I kind of like, but sometimes he gets a little bit too impatient, perhaps. And so I think that the Dolphins are in a situation where they're going to go in and, and get, get it handed to them. Keep in mind something. Their quarterback, Tua, he's from Hawaii, okay? He played his college football in the South. This guy probably hasn't started a game in his whole career in temperatures under 50 degrees. I might be wrong about that, but if, if you look at his entire career, maybe he's played one. I don't know. Uh, He didn't even play in the Buffalo playoff game last year. He was hurt, so he didn't play. Well, he had a concussion, so he didn't play in the playoff game last year, which would have been in the cold. So he has zero track record of success in cold weather. And now you're asking him to go beat Mahomes on his home turf, Mahomes Magic, where they have been beat up by the media as this isn't as good of a Kansas City team as normal. You know, his receivers have this many drops. Come on, man. It's the Kansas City Chiefs. It's Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Kelsey and company. You best believe that they're going to elevate their game. And I think that uh, Miami Dolphins are going to be the victims of, of Kansas City's rebound. I'm taking Kansas City there. Now, probably the easiest game to pick winners and losers, in my opinion, is the Bills and the Steelers. I really don't see the Steelers have any shot at all. Which probably means it's good to take them, right? Uh, It's a 10-point spread, and uh, the Bills are rolling. And I don't think anybody believes in Pittsburgh. Definitely not the line makers. You know, the quarterback, eh, 
T.J. Watt out. You know, the running backs underachieved, the running game underachieved. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling Pittsburgh. I think that's an easy one. Take the Bills on the win. Probably cover the 10, uh, but I'll leave that up to you guys to figure out. Cowboys and Packers. I think the wise guy money is on the Packers. This point spread is seven. I think Dallas lays the wood on Green Bay and shows them who's boss. Jordan Love is going to have a one-and-done experience in the playoffs. He's going to learn some valuable lessons. Let's move on to the Lions and the Rams. We all know the storyline there. The two quarterbacks that were traded for one another get to face off against one another. Looks like a lot of the money is coming onto the Rams, uh, which, you know, I'm the contrarian. I'm going to go the other way, and I'm going to take the Detroit Lions in that matchup. We'll keep it moving to the Bucks and the Eagles. This is one of those games where the road team is the favorite. The Eagles are three-point favorites against the Buccaneers and Baker Mayfield and company. I think they've been um, there's been naysayers for them all year long. Baker Mayfield all career long. Uh, but I think this is where Philly gets it together and overtakes the Bucks. The Bucs were probably a little bit lucky to even make the postseason. They have the worst record of any of the postseason teams. And I think that this is going to be one of those games where Philly gets back on track. Because let's keep in mind, they were the best team in NFL 10 weeks into the season. Right. And I don't think that they're that different of a team all of a sudden. Yes, there's internal strife. Yes. There's been a lot of negativity. Yes, they're on a big-time slump. But with that said, I think they get it together, and they put together a playoff run. How big of a run, I can't really say, because we don't know who they're going to match up against in the following round. So I'll leave it at that. We've covered all the games. Uh, but more than anything, you know, uh, this I've done this show with a heavy heart. You know, uh, Pop DiBiase, I love you, man. You're going to be sorely missed. We're going to keep your legacy alive, man. And, you know, I'm going to do my part to make sure that he lives on forever. Thank you to everybody that's listening. Thank you to Voice America. Thank you to my man, Matt, um, and Jordan when he's in here. And uh, more than anything, thank you, the listener. Without you, there is no show. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your weekend, everyone, and rest in peace, Pop DiBiase. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.